this morning about a very dry subject matter, theology. What do I believe and why? Now, the reason I'm covering this topic is because in the small group's uh, semester this time, we're going to be covering systematic theology at its baseline, 20 basic Christian beliefs, okay? Now, when I got saved, when I realized I got saved, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I didn't realize that I had actually gotten saved till the next day. And uh, <clears throat> I ran out to a Bible bookstore and said, I need a Bible, something I can take to work. And they gave me this little red leather pocket New Testament with the Psalms. And I still have it. still use it as my traveling Bible. And uh, the reason they gave it to me is because it contained in it 12 basic Christian studies. He said, you can, you can read the New Testament and you can go through the scriptures line by line and it follows the pattern and just shows what it means for salvation, who God is, what is the Trinity, uh, what is water baptism, and just line upon line upon line. So the first six months of my Christian experience was me in this little red leather-bound Bible with 12 basic Christian beliefs. And in that, I built a foundation on the Word of God. I learned to love the Word of God without, without any uh, pastor inputting into my life at that time with, with Scripture or Bible studies. I just learned the value of understanding what I was reading. See, I wasn't just told open up and read the Gospel of John and you're on your own. I had, I had a pattern. I had a theological pathway that I could follow so that as I read, I understood. Ah, oh, that's what that means. Now I get it, you see? And out of that grew a great love and appreciation for the study of the Word. I love to study the Word. And so we want to impart that to you guys. We've been taking the leadership team through the summer, through the same book, all of you small group leaders have already gone through what they're going to be offering to you. Our uh, Wednesday evening meetings have been powerful. The discussions have been awesome. The, the questions that have been answered, some people have had questions for 20 and 30 years, wondering, well, what the heck does that mean? You know, and, and discovering, discovering answers and understanding in the Lord. So we want to offer that to you and to the number of new believers. We have a lot of new believers coming into the body here. I want to offer them the same foundation of, of the Word of God so that they can rely on their, their Bible as a source of, of the issues that they're going to face in their life. I can find my answers in the Word of God because I understand what it's speaking to me. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.14, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. How many of you ever heard Christians quarreling about words? Right? Whole denominations quarrel about words, right? He says, don't do that. It does no good. It only ruins the hearers. Right? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling 
the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you today to make an investment by your Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and enliven it to us. Make it the living Word of God for the hearer today. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, O God, and hearts to lay hold of your truth that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So often I hear, and and this happened very recently, uh, Christians trying to defend or explain their faith to a non-believer or to maybe someone caught up in a cult by simply quoting scriptures at them. You ever hear that? Just uh, banging out scriptures, you know, like they're going to understand. No depth of explanation or reason as to why or how the quoted scripture may apply to their situation or their belief. They're handling the word of truth, but not rightly. You can beat people to death with your Bible. You can do a lot of damage with the word of God. Usually they do this because they lack theological understanding of the scriptures that they are quoting. Now, let me give you a definition of theology. Theology is the disciplined study of religious questions, such as the nature of God, sin, or salvation. Theo means God in Greek. Logi means fields of study. So it says the study of God. Theology is the study of God or the systematic study of Christian revelation concerning God's nature and purpose, especially through the teaching of the church. In other words, for Christians, theology is the study of God, his nature and attributes in relationship to man as revealed through his word, the Bible. That's what theology is. Now, if you ever go to seminary, you'll have to take a course called Systematic Theology. That's what this little book you're going gonna to be getting for the study is based on. How many pages in that, Eric? No, in, in the big one. Uh, Gruden, Grudem's Systematic Theology is about 1,400 pages, and he's reading it. All right? It is required in seminary. Now, for lesser degrees, he has another systematic theology book that I guess is about 600 pages. That's a little little less in-depth. And then he has 150 pages, the 20 basic Christian beliefs. It is all systematic theology so that you can learn to rightly handle the Word of God. So when you're in the Chinese restaurant... What you're saying to that individual, you know it's scripturally accurate. You know that the way that you're instructing that person will bring fruit because it is connected to the revealed word of God, right? I want to say that it's very easy to find out and even to memorize 
what it is you should believe as a Christian, okay? I remember as a young boy going to parochial school. Anyone else go to Catholic school, right? Did you have to memorize the Apostles' Creed and a whole bunch of other prayers? that? Uh, I had to memorize it as a punishment and write it on the board 500 times one time. I won't tell you what I did. Uh, that was a common place for me. Now, if you want, you can go to our website, www.lakesregionvineyard.org, and download a copy of our Tenets of the Faith from our section where our bylaws are. In our bylaws, we have the Tenets of Faith, okay? And they, they read this way. I, I made a copy here. The tenets of Faith. We believe the Bible to be the inspired and only infallible and authoritative Word of God. We believe that there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his virgin birth, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and in his personal future return to this earth in power and glory to rule a thousand years. We believe in the blessed hope, which is the rapture of the church at Christ's coming. We believe that the only means of being cleansed from sin is through repentance and faith in the precious blood of Christ. We believe that regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for personal salvation. We believe that the redemptive work of Christ on the cross provides healing of the human body in answer to believing prayer. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2.4, is given to believers who ask for it. We believe in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a holy life. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost, the one to the everlasting life and the other to everlasting damnation. Now listen, you could memorize that, be able to spit it out, but if you don't understand what those words are really saying, it doesn't do you any good. I thought I'd give a giveaway. I'm going to give you all a copy of the Apostles' Creed. This is an awesome little document, right? That's your take home today. Put that on your fridge and memorize it. Then find out why you did. <laughs> So do you believe all that? Do you believe the tenets of our faith? Well, let's just look at one tenet. Do you believe that there is only one God, eternally existent in three persons, the doctrine of the Trinity? Do you believe that? Put your hand up if you believe that. Cool. Okay. Why? Okay, there, there. Perfect answer. Because the Bible tells me so, right? The Bible doesn't tell you so. Nowhere in the Bible will you find it stated that there is a trinity. And if you don't know your theology, and you're saying to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, 
Well, it says right in the Bible that God is. And they're going to say, oh, yeah. <laughs> Go back to school, buddy, because they know their theology. They might have it warped, but they know. But over and over, the scriptures show that the Godhead is triune in nature and makeup by revealing the character and interaction of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of whom are referenced throughout the scriptures as separate and distinct persons. See, the scriptures reveal the Trinity, but they don't state the Trinity. And if you don't understand the theological position of the Trinity, you cannot get into a viable or fruitful dialogue with someone about the Trinity. And I don't know how many times I've had the discussion. You can't try to witness to a Jew without hitting that like a brick wall. Well, you worship three gods. No, we don't. We worship one God. Well, don't you believe in the Trinity? Absolutely. Well, explain that to me. <laughs> okay? There's the brick wall. Well, the Bible says so. No, it doesn't. Where do you go? See? It's imperative. It's imperative that we know what we believe. The knowledge of the Trinity is revelatory in nature. As Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 15 through 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, you know, who do men say that I am? He says, oh, some say you're a prophet, and some say you're Elijah. And then he comes to the, the quick of the thing. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who is it that you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, you have to understand, here, here again, theological context is so important for a Jew to say that is such a profound statement because what he, Peter is essentially saying is I am recognizing you, a man, as God. They won't even say his name. They won't even put the O between the G and the D when they write about him. Never mind assign divinity to a human being. And here Peter does that. You are the Christ. Now, he could have said, you're the Messiah. And there would have been a place to fit that because Moses was a Messiah. He was a deliverer. But they never ascribed divinity to him. But Peter went beyond that by revelation. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are divine. And look at Jesus' response. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And there was no place in all of their scripture, in all of their understanding of what the scripture said, where flesh and blood could reveal that to Peter. It was not there, and it's not there for us. But my Father who is in heaven, it's divine revelation. And you have to understand that. It has to come that way. Theology, as we study God, he in turn reveals himself to us. As we study him, 
he reveals himself. That's theology at its best. Okay? Why is this important? John 17, 3. Jesus again is speaking and he says, this is eternal life. Do you think he knows what eternal life is? Hmm? This is eternal life. That they know you. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now the Greek word here for know is gnosko. It is a prolonged form of a primary verb to know in the sense of absolute knowing. In a great variety of applications with many implications to allow, to be aware of, to feel, to have known, to have known as in knowing in possessing and knowing as in physical interaction, knowing as in sex between a husband and a wife. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. See, Gnosko incorporates all of that. This is eternal life that they may know you. Okay? To perceive, to resolve, to, to be sure of, and to understand. To know God, according to Gnosko, is to have both an intimate knowledge of, as well as an intimate relationship with God himself. Okay? It isn't enough to come in, to feel tickled and get goosebumps and maybe fall on the floor and catch a healing and say, Oh, I felt the presence of Jesus. That's not knowing him. That's part of knowing him. You must know about him also. Which one? That's John 17.3. Let me give you an example. Martha and I have had couples come to us and express how they have fallen in love. Okay? And they want to get married right away. Sometimes these are new relationships. Sometimes they are rebound relationships from failed relationships. We'll often suggest a relational time period of just becoming friends and really, really getting to know, to know about each other. Okay? beyond what is expressed by just words or storyline. How many of you know when you're courting, the storyline is phenomenal. I remember when Martha and I were courting five, six hours on the phone. It was, I had so much to say, you know, until I said I do, and then I just clammed up for, for years, you know. <laughs> you used to talk to me so much. <laughs> Guess I talked myself out. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's a storyline that develops it when, when all of this romantic stuff is going on. You know, and it can really be powerful. How does he or she act or react in certain situations? Are there emotional traits or character flaws that are threatening or troubling? Am I making excuses? This is a big one. Am I making excuses to myself for the other person's behavior so that I can keep the relationship when I wouldn't accept the same behavior from another person? Mm -hmm. 
But if they're driven more by a desire to get to know each other in the most intimate way, without taking adequate time to know about each other at a really intimate level, then they will push for a short engagement. They, the, the drive for that is very powerful. It overshadows reason sometimes. And once that drive for physical intimacy is satisfied, they are left to rely on their knowledge about the other person to provide for them a sense of, and this is important, security, safety, and fulfillment. But if that hasn't been developed, you start hearing statements like, Oh, I don't even know who that person is anymore. I thought I knew them. What happened? What happened? They have changed. That's not the person I married. Well, how do you know? How do you know? It must be, because that's who they are. But you never took the time to find out who they were before you said, I do. You could have discovered that with time. And it's the same thing with God. We want to rush in to, to the experience. But the experiences stop. We see that in the scriptures. There are always these 400 years of silence. And there was, there was no voice of the Lord. There was no prophet in the land. For this many years. Okay. Experiences fade away. But the word of God remains forever. I must know about him. So that when I'm not experiencing him. When the circumstances and situations of my life. Have put pressure on me in such a way that I can't come in to his presence and feel his joy. I can open up his word and read about his reassurances and know that they are true and eternal and real for me. That's good theology. Solid relationships require time and investment. How many souls have we seen pass through here? Just this little little building here over the last three years. They come in and they have an encounter with Jesus and maybe they receive a healing or a sense of the reality of his presence and it's like, oh, Jesus, oh, it's awesome, wow. I didn't know church could be like this. It was never that way when I was a kid. This is cool. Where are they? Where have they gone? I mean, Martha and I uh, ache over that question. We, we have so many having passed like water beneath the bridge of our life. I mean, it's amazing to me. Growing and maturing from that encounter requires knowing about him through his word and through prayer and through fellowship and through community. It takes an investment that not everyone is willing to make. And Jesus addresses it in Mark 4. As he was teaching them many things in parables, 
And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. I'll drop down to the explanation, beginning in verse 14. The sower sows the word. When someone comes in and we share Christ, or you're out on the street and you share Christ, you're sowing the word of God into their hearts and into their minds like a seed into the ground. You have no control over what that ground is. But you do, you do have the onus, the responsibility before the Lord to sow the seed anyways. Don't think that you have to get somebody right before you invest a seed, because it'll never happen. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. All right, so basically you, you share the gospel and they say, beat it. Not interested, right? Those are the easy ones. Oh, and they, which case, when they slap you in the face. Right? Yeah, my, my new martyr hero now. Casey suffered for the gospel. A slap in the face. I love it. <laughs> and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. We get a lot of that here. People really connect with the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord here. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You know, they go back into their old lifestyles. Oh, what are you doing? Going to church? Come on, man, let's go get a buzz. You know, the heck with that stuff, right? What are you, what are you turning into? Man, I can't, are you getting all religious on us? Come on, let's get on the barn. You know, it's on me. Right? Okay. (laughs) Gee whiz. The other ones are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, there's a lot of pressure right now. On lives. People are losing homes and they're losing jobs. You know, and the cares of this world uh, have reared up like an end time monster. You know, and part of the work of the enemy is to take that to rob the church of those who would be fruitful, to begin to feed into their minds. It's more important for you to get a job than to go and worship Jesus on Sunday. Don't you know the scripture says, he who doesn't 
work is worse than an infidel? What are you doing wasting your time at a prayer meeting? You should be out reading the newspaper, finding a job. And it all makes sense. This pressure, right? I got to do what's right. I got to do what kind of man would I be? Could I say I'm a Christian man if I'm not doing these things? Can you say you're a Christian man if you're not fully relying on the provision of Jesus Christ for your life? Don't you think Jesus could get you a job? (laughs) But if you're so distracted, you have not because you ask not. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. Because your theology is off. You think that God's punishing us. Think he's, you know, oh, what have I done now? You know, why is God doing this to me? You know, our theology doesn't grasp that he is a loving God. That he works everything to good. He doesn't work things for bad. He doesn't orchestrate things to make a mess out of your life. He's continually at work to redeem the messes we make and try to blame him for. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Theological study provides an opportunity to get the word into us, just like worship provides an opportunity for intimacy with Jesus. We need a balanced relationship based on both the word and the spirit. Acts 17.10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, and listen what they did with it. Once they received the word, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bible says that they were noble men. Why? Because they searched out the scriptures. They didn't just take what so-and-so said and start living their lives based on that. They took what they said and, all right, let's get into the word of God and see if these things are so. That is a noble Christian person. I love the question Rich Nathan developed. When challenged on a particular decision, the leadership had decided to take regarding women in ministry. In his church, there was a person who disagreed with him and quoted a particular scripture as a point of rebuttal. And if you're familiar with the issue, you probably know what the scripture is already. Rich says, well, what does that mean? What's the guy quotes the scripture? What's that mean? And again, the person just quoted the scripture as his response. So Rich asked him this really profound question. He said, Who told you that? Who told you that's what that scripture means? He says, Because if you searched the scripture, you would have had more of an answer than just quoting the scripture again. You would have developed 
an answer of, of your own. And quite frankly, if you would search the scriptures, I think you would have a different opinion. Who told you that's what that scripture says? Well, the church I used to go, that's what the pastor said. This was not a noble Christian man. He didn't search out the scriptures to see if that was so. And this is a good question for us to have in our own minds when we're reading the scripture, when we have a particular point of view. Who told me that? Who told me that is so? And if it didn't come out of an in-depth study of the word of God, if it didn't come out of searching the scriptures, of looking at the context, if it just someone said that to me 20 years ago, you know, when I was in this Pentecostal church and the pastor, he pounded the pope and he said, blah, blah, blah. So it must be blah, 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 because he was really pounding the pulpit. That is no way to develop your theology. I can pound the pulpit and tell you a lie. I can pound the pulpit and make a mistake. I can pound the pulpit and give you my opinion, but it might not be the truth. You better search the scripture and find out if what I've got to say is true. You don't want to live the gospel according to Dick. I've got some pretty unique paraphrases. (laughs) As many of you know. (laughs) Let go of the peanut. We must be rooted and grounded in the word of God if we are to be intimately connected to Christ. Listen to how John explains this in John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, it might, that, all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why didn't they receive him? Because they didn't know him. Why didn't they know him? Because they didn't diligently search the scriptures to find out who the Christ would be, how he would act, and what he would present to the world dying around them. They had their own idea. Listen, Rome has subjugated us. We're in bondage. We're in slavery. When the Christ comes, he's going to raise up an army and set us free. Who's this prophet out of Nazareth talking about sin? We don't need deliverance from sin. The Romans are coming up the road. They had their own theological understanding, and it was so far removed from God that they crucified their own Messiah. How is your theology today? Do you know him? Do you know about him? If he came into our congregation in the flesh, would you recognize him by his behavior, by the things that he says and does? 
when he shows up in your life and tries to address things, is your own opinion about your own stuff stronger than what the word bears witness to about his opinion? Do you really know him? Through theological study, we can rest on the assurance that we know what we believe and have the confidence to share it. I'm going to skip the egg analogy. You like the egg analogy? <laughs> Just about that tenet of faith. You know, when people try to explain the Trinity, they say God is like an egg or an ice cube. You know, so I'm thinking, how would you like your wife to describe you as an egg? You know, he's hard and crusty on the outside and yellow and gooey on the inside, you know. Or describe your wife as an ice cube and see how good your marriage bed is that night, right? But we do that with God. Oh, yeah, he's like an egg, you know, the shell and the yolk and the white. If you understand your theology, he's not like anything created. The Trinity is a mystery. And every time you try to compare it to something that has been created, we fall short. Keep the mystery in the faith because it drives us on to know him. Once we think we've got it, we stop searching. Once we stop searching, we start perishing. We have a mystery faith full of signs and wonders and mysteries that are awesome. We can search out God for all eternity and never fully know him. What a journey he's called us to. Theologically, you have to understand that. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life is not about longevity. It's about quality. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Do you know him today? Do you know Jesus? How deeply? How deeply do you know him? Have you plummeted into the depths of the knowledge of Christ to discover who you are in him and who he is in you? Do you want more of him today? Is your walk in the faith less than abundant? doesn't have to stay that way. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Jesus said that when you come, you would testify concerning Christ, that you would make clear all that he spoke, you would make clear to our minds. That means you would deepen our relationship with him. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come to enlighten our minds to the truth of the knowledge of the Word of God, to help us get past ourselves, our own finite understanding of these things that we call the faith. Bring us into the mysteries that are hidden in Christ, that we may know you deeper and deeper and be known by you in a much more fruitful way. We bless you today, O oh God.
Enliven your word through our lives. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.